listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. In Luke chapter 8, um, 26 to 39, that's our passage today, and we'll get there in just a few moments. But today I want to talk a lot about um, the peace-filled life. Um, talk about the life that has peace in it and what that looks like. Um, maybe for us to ask ourselves today as we are here and opening the Word of God and maybe as God speaks to us today to ask ourselves, are our lives even marked by peace? Or maybe for some of us to ask the question, what does a peace-filled life even look like? Why is it even important? And I think what I would love to propose to us today is that the peace-filled life is so important for us. It's so important because if we have peace in our lives as we go through the circumstances of life, it entirely transforms the way that we live. And as we will look in our passage today, I hope that we'll see that as well. Um, We're going to see how the peace-filled life is such a beautiful gift that God himself can give us. And in fact, it's, it's only found in God himself. We're going to see how the peace-filled life is only attained or we can only have true peace in our lives by coming before a beautiful, peace-filled God. As the word of God tells us in Isaiah 6, as we're moving into the Christmas season, there's a famous passage that says that Jesus, the, the Savior of the world, his name shall be called the Prince of Peace. And that is the God that we will see today in our story and a God that invites us to come before him and offers us peace in life. And and we'll see in our lives, maybe at times when we think we have peace and then we realize, but why do I not feel peaceful right now? Maybe it's a call for us to consider the fact that we thought what was peaceful is not actually true peace. Maybe there's something in our lives that we thought, you know, I, I have peace in my life as I go through this and then trials come or sufferings come or, or maybe just the everyday life of parenting comes or work and you think, this is not true peace. It's not sustaining me. This can't be real peace. Real peace today is found in the Prince of Peace and being dependent on him and declaring about him. And so we're going to see today in Luke chapter 8 a beautiful opportunity for us to come before the Prince of Peace. And, and you know what? Maybe for some of us today, this is important because as you came to church today, maybe willingly or maybe unwillingly, you have the perception that your life is filled and marked by peace. Maybe other people around you will look at you and say, that person, they've got things together You know, they're going through a hard time right now, but they just seem like they have peace in their lives. But you know that when you leave here today, that all the perception of this peace goes away and that you're struggling. And and maybe your heart's desire at the deepest level is to say, God, I, I, I really need peace in my life. I need something that's gonna sustain me to tomorrow. I need something that will sustain me to next week or through this season of my life, through, through the Christmas season. God, it's hard right now. I encourage you to find that in the Prince of Peace today. And so Luke chapter 8, 26 through 39 is this beautiful story. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you've never heard it before. Where the Prince of Peace encounters a man who has no peace. And he's possessed by demons. I would love to pray for us as we ask that God would teach us right now in this moment in his word that he would speak to us. God, right now in this moment, as we open your word, we understand that it's your word that's given to us. And so God, I just pray that in this moment, 
now that you would be speaking to us, that we would see the offer of peace that comes from a Prince of Peace type of God. That's who you are, and so God, speak to us now powerfully, move in our hearts, stir us, help us understand, God, if we have not found peace in you, that is not true, it's not real, it won't last, and that only true peace is found in Jesus Christ. Pray this in your peace-filled name, in the Son of Jesus, amen. Amen. The story today uh, begins in Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Uh, but I think what's important to realize before we get to the story is the story that happens right before. And maybe this is a story that you've heard before. It's, it's probably one of the most well-known stories in Jesus' earthly ministry. And, and maybe you're familiar with it in which Jesus one day gets in his boat with his disciples. You can read that in the earlier verses, verse 22. It says, one day Jesus and his disciples got in the boat. And it says they got in the boat with the purpose of sailing across the Sea of Galilee towards the other side. That's going to be important as we get to our story today. But Jesus set sail, and if you know the story, him and his disciples fall asleep on the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples wake up in this storm. The wind is howling, the thunder and lightning are crashing, and and they are afraid and fearful of their lives. They awake Jesus and and call out to him, please save us, Jesus, do something in this storm. And and if you know the story, Jesus rebukes them for their lack of faith, but then he stands up, and as the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as they tell us, Jesus just says, before the storm, peace, be still. And the disciples at the end of the story, they're just staring at Jesus and they are marveling. Who is this? Who is this that even wind and waves obey this Jesus? Now, if you remember, that's the story that happens right before ours. But if you look in the very first verse, in verse 22, it says, let us go across to the other side of the lake. And so the story's not done yet. I mean, God's word teaches us this incredible display of Jesus' power over the natural world. But as we will see, he is on his way to the other side of the sea. And that's where we get to in our story. Now, um, it's helpful for us now as we're about to read to understand that the disciples' foreheads are, are probably wet with sweat, nervous sweat from this very moment. I mean, their hearts are probably still beating for what has just happened in the storm. And as they've asked Jesus, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey, they see Jesus' attention redirected towards the shores that they're now sailing towards. And they realize, oh no, he's still continuing on. Where are we going next? And so let's read our passage together in verse 26. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39 says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. And for a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. And for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Verse 30, Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. 
Verse 32, now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and they told it in the city and in the country. And then the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And then all of the people of the surrounding country, the Gerasenes, they asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. And then the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. In our passage today, I want us to see three different encounters that Jesus has with different types of people. Three different dialogues he has that we can learn from in our story today. I want to show you on the screen how maybe we can divide these three encounters. And so the first part of the story, we see Jesus encounter the the demon-possessed man. But this man is seized by demons, and and really Jesus' interaction in the first encounter in those verses is, is with the demons themselves, the supernatural world. And as Jesus performs this miracle and heals the man, it then moves on to the second encounter where the herdsmen and the witnesses and the people of the city come out to Jesus and they encounter the Prince of Peace and Jesus dialogues with them. And we're going to learn what happens in that part of our story. And the third encounter, after the man is healed and the people get rid of Jesus, we have this interaction, this beautiful interaction with, with the man who's now healed. He's been freed And it's the peace-filled man. And so hopefully that's helpful to see maybe how that passage can be divided for you today. Now, I'm a visual learner, and maybe it will be helpful for you as well. I want to show you a picture of what the story looks like as we begin to look into these three encounters. As you remember, the story takes place in the Sea of Galilee. And you can see there that Jesus and the disciples were sailing across the sea to the other side of the shore, the Decapolis, the region of, of literally just 10 cities of the Gerasenes where they, where they were headed. And you can see that, that Jesus' disciples are, are coming from the other side of the lake. Capernaum was the place of Jesus' earthly ministry. And as we'll hear about the pigs later as they rush down the steep banks, those for you visual learners, are, those are banks, and they're on a steep angle as we're going to hear about later on. And so that's the setting of what takes place today. That's where Jesus is coming. That's where the man sees him coming from. And Jesus interacts with this man in a way that should profoundly cause us to wonder, who is this Jesus? So let's begin in verse 26 in the first encounter. We read how the moment Jesus sets foot on shore, this man appears to be ready and waiting for him. They sail to the country, the Gerasenes, and then it says in verse 27, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man who had demons. Now imagine again the scene right before this. This man, possessed by demons, was in the land of the Gerasenes. It was a place that no one ever wanted to go and visit 
who he was and what he could do or what they have tried to do. And this man roamed and reigned this shoreline, this countryside of the steep banks. This was his place where no one dared to come. And as he looks out over the Sea of Galilee, it was only a sea about 11 by 15 kilometers. And, and the human eye can see upwards of 40 kilometers. And so maybe this man looks out over the Sea of Galilee and he sees the boat with the figure of uh, a man with his disciples or something, the shadows of people in this boat, and he sees the, the wind and the waves begin to pick up. And this peaceless man is loving the chaos he sees over the Sea of Galilee. But then in a moment, maybe he sees a man stand up and maybe put out his arms and appear to be saying something out in the storm, and instantly in that moment, everything ceases. And he's disturbed because he loves the peacelessness. And he sees the boat reposition itself and a gentle breeze begin to fill the sails as now the boat appears to be coming towards his shore where no one ever comes. And he tries to assess where this boat of Jesus and his disciples are trying to land on his shore. He maybe doesn't know in the moment exactly what he's waiting for, but he knows who is responsible for bringing peace in the storm. And he begins to walk and stumble and fall in the sandy shore as he figures out where Jesus comes. And, and eventually the boat makes its way to the shore and it says, now in this moment, Jesus is waiting for him. But then something happens. Something happens in verse 28 that maybe we wouldn't expect in this man possessed and seized by demons. And you can see there what happens as he counters Jesus. It says, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and he falls down before Jesus in verse 28 and says, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? The end of the story right before, if you remember Jesus' disciples, they're asking the question, who is this? And now Luke is answering for us through the demon's encounter with Jesus and saying, who is this? This is the son of the most high God, the prince of peace. Now the gospel writers, they tell us in these stories that this man here now before Jesus, fallen and submitting to him, he was crazy. He was lonely. He was isolated. He was self-mutilating. He was dangerous. He couldn't be bound. He was homeless and, and very, very powerful. He lived among the tombs, the dead. This man was crazy. And as we see in the story here, Luke, the author of this gospel, he was a physician. And, and, and it's as, as if Luke is telling us, I know the difference between physically ill and spiritually ill. And this man was spiritually ill. Every part of his life lacked peace, and now he is encountering something that will forever change his life. And so he falls down before the Son of the Most High God, the Prince of Peace, and he cries out to him, and we see this beautiful posture as a reflection of who is in his presence. But the story continues. So even though in this moment it seems as though this crazy man possessed by demons is maybe going to go rush Jesus and his disciples, he comes before and falls down and cries out and hails who is in his presence. And, and it seems like things are going to get worse. But I love what the writer and author and pastor Thabiti Anyabwile says about this very moment. 
He says, even though there is not the slightest hint of good versus evil, as if evil has any chance in this moment. I love that picture of what's taking place. You know, maybe if you like marking up your Bibles, highlighting, circling, I want you to do something that's been rewarding for me in this story. Look at the, look at the submissive words that Luke gives us in this gospel account. Look for the words like begging and asking for permission and seized. These are words that Luke is helping us understand that it's, it's only Jesus who gives freedom and restoration from this. It's only Jesus who brings peace amidst the chaos because Jesus, as we've just seen, controls all the natural world. Jesus himself, son of the most high God, is the one who controls all the supernatural world. It's the son of the most high God we are dealing with. Luke wants us to see that Jesus himself is equated with God himself. He is God. In church, the son of the most high God bows down to none. And that is what's taking place in this moment. And so in submission and asking for permission before Jesus, we come to verse 30 in our story. We come to verse 30 where the demons confess their name to Jesus as legion as Jesus asked them for it. Now legion was a, it was a Roman term for the size of an army, an army of soldiers, and they confessed that this was an army of demons that had possessed and seized this man. But look in verse 31, that even though, even though it is an army of demons that have filled this man and seized him and brought peacelessness to his life, even though an army of demons fall and are submitted before one Jesus, it's the demons themselves that are asking Jesus and begging for permission. Look at verse 31. They begged him. They begged him, Jesus, son of the most high God, please do not destroy us forever into the abyss. And they asked Jesus for permission to go and, and possess and fill themselves into this herd of pigs on the countryside in verse 32 and 33. And again, in allowance to the request, Jesus says, fine, go. And it says they filled this, this herd of pigs, which rushed down and destroyed and brought more peacelessness in the countryside. Now think about what just takes place right now. In the, in the gospel accounts, we have a few different descriptions. Luke mentions in his story that the herd of pigs was a large, large herd of pigs. In the gospel of Mark, he says the herd of pigs there in the countryside by the steep banks was about 2,000 swine. And then we understand as well in Matthew that Matthew says there were many pigs in this herd. Now regardless in this very moment of maybe what we'd call the, the snout count, what we see taking place in this part of the story was how the Jewish people looked at what was taking place and said, those are unclean animals. What is going on here, Jesus? We don't associate ourselves with unclean animals. But some commentators suggest in this moment, this very moment, what's taking place, we're seeing what is a significant blow to the Roman army. You see, many people say that the size of a herd of pigs this large would have been for one purpose in the countryside. It would have been a food source for the Romans in the Roman army. 
And so in this moment, we see Jesus allowing the demons to go and and destroy this herd of pigs. And it was a significant blow maybe to the Roman army. This was, as Jesus' disciples look on, this was the type of Savior that we've been waiting for. A Messiah that would bring us peace in the land from the Romans that ruled over the Jewish people. And so this is what they thought the Prince of Peace would do for them. But we're about to see that that was not, in fact, what Jesus was doing. Maybe in this moment, as one author says, that we are seeing an unclean man with unclean spirits cast into unclean animals living in an unclean region of unclean vocation. Jesus was restoring in this moment as the Prince of Peace. He was bringing peace and order to a land and to a people and to a person that had never experienced true peace in their lives. He was performing a miracle to show them that it was only the Prince of Peace that could do this. And yet in that moment, this miracle, this display of power and and his authority over all of creation, not everyone would run to Jesus with open arms. And so that takes us now to the second encounter. If we remember in verses 34 through 37, we see what happens next. The people that witnessed what took place... The herdsmen, Luke writes in verse 34, they return to the city and they tell people what has happened. And then Luke writes and says, when the herdsmen told what they had happened, they came and fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they returned to Jesus with this man and they see the man who had been possessed by demons for years, who they could not bind with shackles and chains. Uh, A man who they could never bring peace to was now submitted before this Jesus. And it says he was sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind. How can this be? How can this be that this man has changed? Now think about this man's life. Think about everything that might have changed in this moment when he met Jesus, the Prince of Peace. I mean, maybe this man had a family that he had left for all those years as he was isolated. Maybe this man had left a wife without a husband for all of these years. Maybe he had left his children without a father to care for and provide and lead for them. Maybe this man had a job that he had to just leave because of what had happened in his life. Maybe he had friends that wondered, is is our friend, is our buddy ever going to come home again? Nobody goes to visit him. And yet in the moment when the herdsmen and the witnesses and the people of the city come out, they see something they would have never expected. They encountered Jesus, and yet in that moment, as they see the peace-filled man, they look to Jesus, and if you see in, in your Bible, it says, they are seized with great fear. They're seized with great fear. For years they had known this man, this demoniac man seized by demons, and now before their very eyes, they see a man who's, who's experiencing true peace in his life. And yet in that moment, rather than rejoicing or being filled with faith, it says they are filled with great fear. So maybe some of us are wondering, why? Why, after seeing what has taken place, would you be filled with fear as what Jesus had done? Maybe these people, as they see, they're afraid of this man that they thought they knew. I thought I, I knew who he was. He's, this man's crazy. 
Maybe these people are filled with fear because they see the man that they thought they knew now in submission to a man that they are starting to understand who he is. Who is this Jesus who is now controlling and and this man is submitted to at his feet? Maybe they were afraid of Jesus and who was in his presence. But I think maybe what they were concerned with is the fact that what they tried to bring peace to always failed. And this man had now found true peace in someone other than themselves because he had encountered the Prince of Peace. And so Luke says that their experience in this moment is that they are filled with great fear. They are seized as the man previously was seized by demons. Now it's these people that are seized by great fear. And we should wonder at what this means because fear is something that the Bible talks about. Fear can be a good thing before a prince of peace kind of God. But the fear that these people experience in this moment, this is not a holy fear of God, a reverent fear. These people are looking to Jesus and and rather than being afraid of who he is as the prince of peace, this beautiful, merciful God as we've sang about today, rather than a fear of who he is, they're afraid for who he is. Jesus, what might you do to us? Will you destroy our herd? What will you transform and change in our lives maybe that we are not ready for or we would be uncomfortable with? But in the Bible, a holy fear, in contrast, draws us closer to God. When we understand a beautiful God and a merciful God and a peace-giving God, we say, wow, God, that is not who I am. And I come before you in submission like this man now. I come in dependence before your feet and say, God, that is who you are and that is not who I am. I need you, God. That is holy fear. And yet their unholy fear leads them to do what they did next. If you see in this encounter as they come before Jesus and as they're seized with great fear, it comes to verse 37 and they say, Jesus, we need you to leave. They beg for Jesus to leave from their presence, as Mark says. They weren't going to make Jesus bow down to them. They certainly would not bow down to Jesus like this man was. They just say, Jesus, you need to leave now from our region. We cannot have you here any longer. Why? As Luke says, it's because we're afraid of you. We can't have you here, Jesus, for whatever you're going to do next or for whatever type of of person you are, whatever power you have, leave this place now. You know, how many people in our world do the exact same thing? They see the evidence of God in creation. They see the gift of grace through times of their lives and maybe wonder, how could this be that, that that worked out? I was sick, and then now I'm not sick. I've been healed in some way, and they, they aren't drawn to wonder who is this God of all of creation that is working and showing grace and mercy in our lives. Instead, what we see in our culture is the removal of Jesus everywhere. We see the removal of Jesus in our schools, in our workplaces, Everywhere we look, we see people saying, Jesus, leave. Be gone from our lives. You cause us to be uncomfortable. You convict us of sin. You stir within us restlessness. Be gone from our presence, just like these people of the city are doing now. Jesus, we beg you leave. 
But those who reject Christ, there's a warning in Isaiah. As Isaiah writes in 57, verse 21, he says that there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. So think about in your own life today, is your life also marked by fear? Is it marked by fear like these people of the city? Or like the demons before God? Are you afraid of how God really views your life? Or the past that you have come through? Or the experience of life that you have gone through? Are you afraid that God will look at you and say, you are not worth saving? And you are afraid of what God actually thinks to you and you are filled with fear. Maybe some of us today wouldn't admit that our lives are marked by fear, but the truth is, is fear looks like all sorts of things in our lives. Maybe some of us, like perhaps the city folk here, have a misunderstanding of who God is in our life. We think that God is only a God of justice or a God of judgment. And that misunderstanding leads us to live in fear of God, like the people. Maybe it compels us to live a certain way in our lives because we feel that this just and, and, and perfect uh, wanting God is going to look at us and say, I can never keep those requirements. I can never live so perfectly in my life. And so we are afraid of God that God would look at us and say, you failed. You failed. You can't keep your commandments. You don't live according to the way I want you to. And so we're afraid that God won't accept us or he won't forgive us or he won't show grace because of how many times we do fail as imperfect people. Some of us have fear in our lives in the way in which we are afraid of other people. We're afraid of what people would think of us. We're afraid of their opinion and whether or not we are good enough for them. Whether or not we are smart enough for the people around us or maybe in our class in school. Maybe some of us are afraid in life because we're afraid that we are not attractive enough for other people, that someone would find us attractive, that they'd want to maybe marry us enough, and so we worry in fear in our singleness. And maybe some of us in life are afraid of, of getting sick, or maybe perhaps afraid of dying because we're unsure of what comes next. Some of us maybe are afraid in our lives of what could be taken away from us, like our jobs. Or we're afraid if we'd lost a family member or a friend. Some of us are afraid of materials. Some of us are afraid of people. Church, if there's fear in your life today, I want you to hear this word of encouragement. It's only the perfect love of Jesus that casts out fear in your life. It's only in Jesus that you will experience fear leaving and fleeing from your life. Because that's the kind of God that he is. And so in the first two encounters here in our passage, we understand that these, these demons and these people, they don't understand who Jesus is. In the first encounter, it results in a complete rejection of the Prince of Peace. Send us away from your presence, Jesus. Don't destroy us. In the second encounter, we see the people of the city. Jesus, you leave our presence. Please, you cannot be here with us. It's a rejection of Jesus. And so we see distance and separation from God, but rather than thinking that that will bring peace for them, we see that distance in our lives from Jesus only brings and breeds chaos rather than order. 
And ultimately, the Word of God tells us that there is eternal destruction that awaits those who completely reject Jesus in their life. You know, maybe that's for some of us here today. Maybe the dad here today that thinks they can carry their family and their own strength on their back without the help of Jesus and dependence on him, you need to know it's not going to be peaceful. For the, for the woman that's here today and thinks, my beauty is found in the, what people around me think rather than being dependent on Jesus as a daughter of Christ to say you're beautiful as my creation and not what other people think of you, you will not find peace if it's in this world rather than Jesus. Maybe you're here today and, you're, and your marriage has been falling apart or at least you've been looking at where you are thinking, how did we get to where we are today? How is our marriage such a mess rather than coming and being submitted to the feet of Jesus? Some of us wonder, yet the answer perhaps is more clear than we think because we ask ourselves, why is there no peace in my life? God, where are you? And yet in a moment of reflection, maybe we wonder, have we cried out to God in prayer? Are we dependent on God through prayer and through the reading of his word in our lives to say, God, I need you to bring peace into my life amidst circumstance. God, it's only you who transcends all circumstances to bring peace to me. Because if you're here today and you, if there's distance in your life from Jesus, you need to know that you will miss the mark of the peace-filled life. Or maybe if you're here today and you have the sense like the city folk, I don't need you, Jesus. You go do you th your thing, I'll do go my thing, and, and, and we can just be separate. That's totally fine. You need to know as well in your life, you will miss the mark of the peace-filled life and never experience peace. Or maybe some of us are here today and we have the sense that ah, we're just indifferent. I don't think it's that important. You will miss the mark too. You will find peace in something that is just fake peace or a facade or fake news. And so if your life or if my life lacks intimacy with Jesus, we will always miss the mark of the peace-filled life. And so the beautiful thing in this passage from the first two encounters, we see examples of what we ought not to be like or to do. And as we come to the third encounter now, at the end of our story, we see this example of what Jesus is calling us to do when we recognize who he is as the Prince of Peace of what he can bring us in our lives that will go through the trial in the moments of difficulty, we understand that is what I want to be like, Jesus. That is what I want to pursue in my life because we understand that, that Jesus can come and, and clothe us and bring stability. And as we'll see now in this man's life in the third encounter, Jesus promises much transformation in our lives. If you look at the last encounter now in these final verses of what this man does next, um, remember the people come out from the city and they see Jesus and what he's done with this man. They ask Jesus to leave, but they also understand as they look at this man that not only is his life marked by peace, but he's sitting clothed and, and he's thinking clearly in his right mind. And they understand that Jesus has done a tirely transforming work in this man's life. And this reminds us, as, as Isaiah 61 says in verse 10a, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. 
for the person that puts their faith and trust and dependence in Jesus, God promises, I will clothe you with robes of righteousness. I will save you and bring peace into your life as this beautiful description in Isaiah tells us. And that's what the people see in this man. He's thinking clearly. He's clothed now. There's a lack of insanity because Jesus has brought peace into his life. And so we see in this moment how the Prince of Peace has made a way for the havoc and the chaos of sin to be all rearranged and sorted out. This man is thinking clearly. He's dependent on Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And Jesus promises to us as well that those who put their faith in him will have the robes of righteousness cover them. And then as you think about Paul's letter to the Philippians, he talks about peace. He says that the person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ experiences the transforming work of God in their mind and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As you go through life as a follower of Jesus, God promises and says, I will give you peace to guard your heart and to guard your mind through the trials and circumstances of life to say, I got you. I will give you peace. I will give you the fruit of peace as we learn in our lives. So this man in this moment recognized who Jesus was, what Jesus had done in his life, and that is why he's now before him, the Prince of Peace, and dependent on him. In our lives, if we truly want a peace-filled life, we're going to see two characteristics right here as we close that we need to strive towards. Number one, the peace-filled life is always marked by dependence. If you're a note-taker, write this down. Pray about this this week. God, is my life marked by dependence on you in all areas of my life? Is there something, God, in my life that I think I can be independent on or is it entirely marked by dependence. And let's look what this man does next. In verse 38, we can read what happens. He hears that Jesus is being sent away from his presence. And in that moment, he says, and he begs to Jesus that he might be with him. He recognizes, I need to stay with you, Jesus. I know who you are. I know what you've done in my life. And there's no other place that I would rather be than in your presence. And so he begs that he could remain with the Prince of Peace because he has experienced peace. Now think about this man's life as we did earlier. In the moment that Jesus heals and restores him, In the moment that Jesus brings peace into his life, rather than as a free man getting up, grabbing his sandals and and running home to see if his wife is still waiting for him or if his front door is open and the children will come and run into his arms, rather than wondering if his job is still waiting for him or if his friends have planned a party on his return. Maybe, Maybe he had some of those things waiting for him, maybe he didn't. But rather than doing those things, in the moment that this man is healed, he comes to recognize that Jesus, there is no other place that I would rather be. And that's not to say that all those other things are bad things. But he just realizes in the moment that he's put his faith and been healed and restored before the Prince of Peace, all of his priorities in life have been rearranged. Jesus, you are the only one that I am dependent on for everything. You are the only one who has done in me 
than I will ever find in this life because nothing else compares. Maybe this is a word for some of us today as we look into our own lives and think, I just don't know if I'm there yet. Jesus, I don't know if I'm fully dependent on you like this man is on you. There's other things that my heart wants rather than to be in your presence. There's things of this world or there's statuses or there's people-pleasing, God, that my affections are stirred towards rather than to say, all I want is Jesus. All I need is Jesus to bring peace into my life. See that in this moment Jesus says to you, come before me as the Prince of Peace. In your weariness, in your brokenness, in your fatigue, in your heartache, in your wounds, in your healing, come to me and I will give you rest because I am the Prince of Peace. The reason why this heart transformation is important, church, is because it's not enough for us just to know of Jesus. It's not enough just to think we know the answers of who this Prince of Peace is as we've seen in the city folk. We've heard of what he's done, we've encountered him and, and who he is, but, but it's not enough just to know because knowing often and maybe always leads to knowledge. And knowledge doesn't always transform the heart. Rather than, on the contrast, it's the man or the woman or the child that says, Jesus, as I'm learning and understanding and encountering you, it's changing my heart. It's stirring my love for you to grow deeper. All I want is you. All I care about is living to please you, to bring glory to you. God, I am dependent on you. It's the life that says, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. And so now this man, after being a slave to demons for so long, he's free. And he doesn't run home. He begs to be with Jesus. This is a strange reaction for us. Maybe some of you know the ancient classic novel written by Victor Hugo called Les Miserables. There's a similar reaction in this story as the main character is introduced to us. His name is Jean Valjean. He's been a prisoner and a slave for 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread. And in the opening scenes, we're introduced to one of the antagonists of the story. is a man named Javert. He's a police inspector. And he, he's giving Jean Valjean his yellow ticket of freedom. Jean Valjean, you are now free to go. And yet in this moment, it would be as if Jean Valjean looks to Javert and says, Actually, I know you have given me freedom, but I would rather be in your presence than to run free as he does in the story. In our own lives, our hearts pulled and swayed to say, God, my love is for this, or is it to say, God, my love is for you? I would rather be in your presence. Look what happens in the story. The man begs that he might be with Jesus, and, and inter interestingly enough, Jesus denies his request. And look at the last verses of our story. Verse 39, Jesus answers him and says, actually, no, rather than be with me, I want you to go and return back to your city, to your home, to your family, to your people. And look what Jesus says to him. He tells him to do a few things. One, return to your home. 
Two, declare how much God has done for you. The peace-filled life is marked by declaration. This man is sent home to go and declare as a pre-release of the Great Commission. Go home to your people. Tell them about the Prince of Peace. Tell them of how your life has changed, how God is with you in your circumstance. Go and tell them of this Jesus. And so the first characteristic of the peace-filled life is a life that is marked by dependence, And the second characteristic of our lives to experience the peace-filled life is marked by a declaration because we're not worried what people think. We're not worried what the world thinks. All we believe is that we need to go and declare that God has changed our lives and he can change your life too. And so this man is sent home. You know, this is exactly what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6. He talks about the armor of God that we have in our lives to go through life. This man is sent home. He's ready with the sandals, with the gospel of peace to go and declare everything that God had done in his life. It says in another gospel account that as this man went home and shared of what Jesus had done in him, it says that the people marveled. Wow, this is unlike This Jesus is unlike anyone we have ever experienced and met before. How has he done this in you? And so here's a question, church. Here's a question for us today. Is our life marked by declaration and what he has done in you? Are you actively declaring? Because on the contrary, perhaps sometimes in our lives, the unwillingness to declare what God has done is because we're afraid of something. We're afraid of what people might think. We're afraid to declare because we lack peace in who we are now as a saved child and redeemed part of God's family. And so I'm unwilling to share that. Maybe there's something we're ashamed of. We're fearful of what people might think of us. Will they reject us? Will they ask questions we can't answer? God, I'm afraid to declare. But here's the interesting part. In Luke's gospel story for us today in Luke chapter 8, All of us can find a place in this story. Some of us, like the demons, are saying, Jesus, I just, I want to leave. I don't want anything to do with you. Some of us, like the second encounter with the city folk, are saying, Jesus, I just, I I don't want anything. I know who you are. I've heard what you've done. I've maybe been to church before, Christmas or Easter, but I just, I don't want that in my life. But hopefully all of us will see that in the third encounter with this man, when we truly understand how beautiful Christ is, how the Prince of Peace transforms our life, that we would say, God, I want to be with you. I want my life to be in your presence, dependent on you, and I want to be declaring in my life to my family, to my friends, to my neighbors, to my coworkers, all the wondrous works that you've done in my life because, God, you've brought peace to me, and there's nothing that I am afraid of or worried about. But the truth is, is that this is where it gets practical. And so I want to maybe just close by helping us think of what this might look like for us. And there's an image on the screen that we're going to call the slide of faith scale. As we read and understand this story and other parts of of God's word, he, he shows us how as we grow in faith, we have nothing to worry about. 
as I understand that I'm a child of God, that God has forgiven me and and accepted me as I am, I understand that as I grow in faith, peace is also evident more and more in the circumstances of life. And so here's a first example of what this might look like for us as we grow in faith on the slide. Maybe in your life you had a child going to high school this year or middle school, maybe a new school, and you've been worried in your life as a parent, God, I'm worried for the friends that they're going to have. I'm worried what the curriculum will teach them. I'm wondering what the agenda of my teacher for my child might be. God, I'm worried for them and I'm anxious for them. I'm feared in my life, God. Your invitation today before a peace-giving God is to grow in faith in this God. God, I trust you in this circumstance in life. I know that you have my child. You've created them in your image. You are always in control in my life. God, I trust you. And therefore, as your faith grows in God, your peace will grow in your Savior as well. God, it's hard right now to be a parent, but I trust you that you are watching over my child. Here's a second example of of maybe what this looks like. Maybe some of you have experienced the loss of a job in your life. God, what comes next? How am I going to provide for myself, for my family? God, how will I pay the bills? And we ask questions and we worry and say, what is next? What's, which will, what will tomorrow bring? But God says, don't worry about tomorrow. The flowers don't worry about tomorrow. The sparrows don't worry about tomorrow. You don't worry about tomorrow. God knows exactly what you need. Grow in faith in your God. And you will see peace grow in your life to say, God will provide. It's who he is. It's one of the names of God. God is provider. He always cares for his children. He never leaves you astray. He will never forsake you. And so God, in this circumstance of life, I'm trusting that your plan is perfect for me. And maybe it's hard, but I'm trusting you, God. Give me peace in my life right now to trust. Here's a third example for some of us that might um, touch us close to home. Maybe some of us have had a health diagnosis in our life. Maybe sitting in the doctor's office, we've heard what the outcome is for us or for a family member as we sat beside them, as we've looked or we've cried or as we prayed as a family or as we wondered, God, would you please heal? Grow in faith in your God and you will see f- peace grow in your life as well. Because you know, God, this is not all we live for in this life. We want to be faithful witnesses here and now, but God, we know that our hope is a future with you for all of eternity, where your word tells us one day there will be no sickness, there will be no pain, there will be no crying and tears, there will be no sin and death. God, I live for that moment. And so in the moment of a health diagnosis, you say, God, I know you got me. Maybe you will heal, maybe you won't heal, but I know your will for me is that I would be faithfully preaching and declaring that God is faithful. And as you grow in faith in God and health, you will see God also give you peace in your life to trust him and to know that he makes no mistakes and that he is perfect and that your hope is yet to come. Church, see these examples here but maybe see the opposite of these examples because the life that says, I want peace, God help me through this right now. It needs to grow in faith in God because the opposite of faith in God is fear of and for God. God, 
Help me trust you. Because on the opposite side of the scale is the life that is afraid and worried and anxious, that is worried about tomorrow, and therefore it's the life that is marked by fear and peacelessness. Peacelessness. So here's a promise for us as we close. In Psalm 26, verse 3, for the person who desires to come before Jesus in dependence and declaration, God's word says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You keep him in perfect peace because he trusts in you. God, would that be true of us? Would it be true in our lives as we are dependent on you, as we seek to declare about you? And may people look into our lives and say, why is your life marked with so much peace? Why and how do you trust your Savior so much? It's because you know what this God is and who he is and what he's done. And so your, mar- your life is marked by dependence and by declaration. Church, can we pray together? Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Luke chapter 8 where you show us your miraculous power over this man who had experienced years of peacelessness. And in the moments that he encountered the Prince of Peace, God, you changed his life entirely. You brought peace to his life and helped him recognize that peace is only found in Jesus. The life that is surrendered before Jesus at his feet to say, God, I'm dependent on you. And as you change us, God, I will declare about you because the world needs to know there is no other peace found in this life other than what's found in Jesus And so, God, I pray that you would stir within all of us today an understanding that peace is only found in God. Father, maybe some of us today have the ability to look back in our life and remember that moment when we recognize Jesus is all that we need in our life. But God, maybe there's some of us that are here today and they have never come to that place. They've never come to the feet of Jesus in dependence on you. God, would you show us how much we need you in our life? Would you show us the ways or the places that we run to that are fake peace, that are not true peace? And God, cause us to come before you and say, I trust you, God. I trust that you died for me. I trust that you rose again for me. You took my sin so that I could experience peace all through your grace and through faith in you. God, would you do that in this place? And God, would you also use this church in their dependence on you, in their declaration of you, in their homes, in their neighborhoods, in this place, Lord, that you would bring glory to your name because people would say, tell me more about your God. That they would marvel at the peace experienced in the lives of this church and that they would wonder or make this type of peace. And we pray that you would transform our lives for your glory and for your praise and for you alone. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.